Welcome to our first episode of 2023. I hope two days in that your new year is off to a great start. And I'm going to start our time together this year by asking you a question that I want you to truthfully answer to yourself. How much fun are you having in your life? Really, truly ask yourself that. That question is the basis behind today's conversation, which is a really, really good one. As we enter a new year, in addition to the standard operating procedure, New Year's resolutions like, I wanna lose weight or I wanna make more money, how can we make sure that fun is a part of our lives this year? Here to talk to me today is Dr. Mike Rucker, author of The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life, which is out January 3rd. And in addition to a myriad of other useful information, Mike gives us all a takeaway we can use to start having more fun in our lives today. Take a listen to our conversation. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk about having more fun, which is something that I need in my life. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Well, your book asks the vitally important question, can life be more fun? And one of the core themes of the book is that fun is essential to our health, our happiness, our success. We don't often think about this and we'll talk about this in a minute. I think we've kind of trivialized fun and made it, you know, something that is, is not a vital part of our life. Work is a vital part of our life. Hustle culture is a vital part of our life. But, you know, you write in the book that there are even science-backed benefits to back this up. So to start our conversation today, how important is fun to the human condition? So I think it's extremely important. I think what we're finding out today is similar to, and I know, you know, you mentioned uh, hustle culture and, I know you're a busy person with your multiple podcasts. And um, (laughs) so, and and I assume your listeners are as well, because I know, you know, uh, a lot of what you talk about is nonfiction. And so I think most people are going to be familiar with this idea in the nineties where, you know, especially folks that have an entrepreneurial slant, like I did um, and still do that. We champion people that didn't sleep. I mean, you know, you had yeah. the Gary V's of the world, someone who I respect and has walked back what I'm about to, um, you know, say happened in the 90s because he doesn't do this anymore. But he was, literally, you know, it, if you want to be an entrepreneur, then you start working when your kids go to sleep and grind it out from like 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. And that is the trophy, you know, uh, of a successful life. Mm-hmm. You now don't hear that from anyone because there's you know, a rich mountain of empirical evidence to suggest that if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep, you're just not a productive person. So Mm -hmm. you can't identify as an entrepreneur if you're sleep deprived, because ultimately you can't do the work. Right. Right. Um, And so I think where there's some serendipity with regards to my message is that there's emerging research to suggest that leisure is the same thing, that if we're not living a joyful life outside of the folds of our working life, then we're not productive the next day. The problem, it's a little bit more insidious is that there is an equity component to it. So we're sleep, you can feel pretty quickly, like within two to three weeks, you're like, whoa, you know, you, a burnout comes fast and furious. Mm-hmm. A life devoid of joy, you know, the kind of consequences come four to six months later. 
And so we don't actualize it as much. We're just kind of like, wow, I'm lonely or I'm bored or I just don't, you know, life just doesn't feel like how I want it to be. And so the questions are much bigger yet. The antidote is just as easy. I mean, it's essentially figuring out how you want to enjoy your life outside of work and making that happen. And to your point, you know, the headwinds against us are unique to the individual. So, you know, a lot of times it becomes difficult to say, someone's like, well, why is this? Well, it's a host of various reasons, right? For some, it's that ingrained Puritan work ethic. It's how they were raised that, you know, living a, a life full of work is a dutiful activity and, you know, one that you should be proud of, not recognizing that if you're not enjoying your life, you can't be that person anyways. And right, then, right. Yeah, right. And then yeah. for folks like me, just real quick in the sandwich generation, I mean, we have new stressors that are completely unique to the era because fortunately we are all living longer, but it's also more expensive to live. And so we generally are having kids later. So what that means is that for the first time in history, they're, you're not just taking care of your kids, but a lot of folks are also taking care of our aging parents. Mm -hmm. um, and so that sense of responsibility for the folks we love often makes it so that we forget like, hey, you know, we we need to take a little bit of time off the table for ourselves, because if we don't, ironically, we're not showing up as the best version of ourselves. And so we could geek out on the science like social contagion and things of that nature. But <laughs> if you're not a joyful person, generally, you tend to affect those around you. And it becomes this downward spiral where everyone's not living a joyful life. So here you are trying to set the stage, you know, for everyone to just thrive because you feel like, you know, that's your, your role um, within the family unit. And mm -hmm. ironically, because you're not happy, um, you're, you're not doing that job effectively. So that those are the things I'm trying to course correct for folks. No, I mean, yeah, gosh, there's so much there, right? But I just think about myself as a writer and I am prone to be a workaholic. I am, I am, ambition filled, which is a good thing, but it's also sometimes not a good thing. And I am a better writer. I'm a better person, but I'm a better writer when I take a step back from the work and go live a little, you know, live like it's, it's very difficult to be a great writer. If the only experience that you have is inside the four walls of your office or, you know, chained to your desk, it's very difficult to have that extra layer of perspective. And I would say that it would be the same for any job. And you write in the book about how deliberately chasing happiness left you miserable. So you started looking for an alternative and you found it in fun. Can you talk to us about your road to more fun? Yeah. So I think this ho happens to a host of different people. And so um, I've shared my origin story so much. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief just in case people you do not have to keep anything. Brief. <laughs> we have no time limit. Fair enough. So there's a couple of things. So for me personally, what happened was I had over-optimized happiness, similar to, you know, anyone that kind of likes optimization, right? Which I certainly was in that camp, but it's part of the quantified self movement. And so not only was I kind of thinking of these big concepts, but I was literally like, you know, going to Excel and being like, this was a happy day. And this is what I did. Where are the correlations? Should I do more of that? Right. So I had this over concern for, for my happiness and always kind of just trying to figure out how to, to optimize it really. And 
my younger brother passed away in 2016. Yeah. And that just wasn't an appropriate time to be happy. Yet, since I had been on this path for so long, I was trying to will myself out of that, right? And so what, what happens, and I don't, you know, using the word serendipitous here is kind of strange to me. I keep using it, but because I don't know, you know, when you're in this bout of misfortune to say, um, you know, that it was serendipitous, it can be strange, but it, but was it certain- can be, it can, yeah. it can be very serendipitous actually. Yeah. So I, I think it does apply, but just in a weird way, right. Sure. Is that emerging research was coming out and, and now, you know, it's been almost a decade and, and replicated over and over again. But uh, one of the professors I really like is Dr. Iris Mouse out of university of California, Berkeley. And what she found and others ha- have confirmed is that when we're overly concerned about our own happiness, and this is especially true in the Western world, we tend to look at happiness over at the horizon. And we really ruminate on that gap between where we are and where we wanna be. And so what happens is two things, right? One is all of that energy we're using to kind of think, you know, the introspection and the worry is energy that we can't spend actually going and doing stuff that will, you know, fill up our, our happiness cup, as it were. Mm-hmm. The second is we begin to identify as unhappy because we see happiness out in the distance and whether it's subconsciously or consciously, because it's different for different folks, but it's more insidious if it is subconsciously, because you're not even aware of it. You start to go, oh, okay, well, you know, here's another day that I'm not happy. Here's another day where I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And you start identifying as an unhappy person. And so if this continues on, you know, six to 12 months, and again, like I said, unfortunately, it's got a long tail. They found that this is actually a direct path to things like clinical depression, because all of a sudden now it's not just, you know, sort of the environment of your life. It's literally you telling yourself, well, I obviously am not happy. And so it becomes quite problematic. And so I always like to make the clear distinction that valuing happiness as an attribute or wanting people to thrive, no problem. There's no studies that suggest that's bad. Mm -hmm. What is bad is always being concerned about, can I be happier? And so, um, you know, I think intuitively people that aren't familiar with the science can sort of just relate by the fact that that takes you out of the moment, right? We know that for most part, actualizing happiness, you really need to be where your feet are. And so if we're thinking about it all the time, we're not in the moment. We're not enjoying the time we have with our loved ones or the activities we love to do. We're just thinking about how we compare. And so that's why, you know, again, I'm not on the camp of completely villainizing social media. I certainly think it's a very useful tool, but I do think it's contributed to this, right? Because we're always kind of, you know, we'll do the thing. And then we're worried about how that's going to be interpreted by an army of you know, folks that don't even care about our well-being, you know, essentially a lot of us that have amassed these big followings, we couldn't tell you who 80% of those people are, yet we care about what they think, which is just something, again, you know, new that a lot of us are having to deal with, with regards to, you know, how happiness is construed within our own psyche. Well, you know, I find chasing happiness a bit like chasing love. You know, you don't, you can't really force either of those things, right? But, but fun is different because 
you can say, I'm, I can't wake up this morning and say, I'm going to be happy today, or I'm going to be in love today, but I can't say I'm going to have fun today. And here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to go out and read a book by the water, which is fun for me, or I'm going to go, you know, do something, we go to the spa with a girlfriend. That's fun to me. And, you know, and so I think that it's just much more attainable and then, and then the more fun you have, then the more, I think, it breeds happiness and, and it breeds the kind of life that you want to have. And I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, all, everything you've said is, is so fantastic. Why then choose to write a book about it? Because a book is such an undertaking. So you have to be really committed to the idea of fun, right? And so why, why choose to take everything you're going through in your life and then write about it for us, for the rest of us? Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I think under the guise of your podcast, that's an appropriate question, but one that I haven't been asked. So I, I thanks because novel questions are a lot more fun to answer. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I had just finished my academic research in workplace wellness in 2016. So it was sort of this weird timeline. You know, I think a lot of life, you know, you make the best of the luck that you're given. And so mm-hmm. I was lucky in the fact that I did my doctoral work late in life my big sort of reveal in there before I went on this journey was how important autonomy is to our well-being. I really studied how are companies getting things right with regards to happy employees. And it, when we do this kind of work, you know, there's all sorts of different research methods. I use something called thematic analysis. And the theme that emerged really quickly was that companies that allow um individuals the freedom to do the work that they want so in the literature it's called autonomy are the ones that thrive they're happier and actually there's a fairly strong dotted line to uh, physiological outcomes to you know better health and things of that nature and so um, one you know after I got done with my dissertation I had you know fidgety hands so I wanted to just get back to writing anyways Mm -hmm. Um, and then two that concept kind of paired with what I was finding with regards to happiness and that is that when we look at our schedule, our rhythms, our patterns, especially if we've let them get habituated, and so many folks have, you know, after the age of 30, they kind of sort of, you know, fall into how they want to see their work, excuse me, how they want to see their week unfold. And then they just do that over and over again. And as you know, I unpack why that's problematic in the book. Um, you know, I was like, these are really interesting ideas. And then the last piece is, that most of the books on happiness are really derived from clinical psychology and positive psychology. But I saw all these amazing social uh, psychologists that hadn't gotten their big ideas out, you know, in the lay press. And so I was like, you know, I want to bring these ideas together and really present them as psychological strategies, because we're talking about them, you know, as broad-based interventions in social science, but we're not talking about them, you know, as things that people can just use as practical practical tactics. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you put all that together and that was the, the that was the motivational engine for getting it across the finish line. I love it. And you write in the book, kids embrace fun naturally. Adults face three obstacles. We're conditioned as we age to believe that trying to have fun is childish, even inappropriate. We undervalue the mental and physical benefits of fun and we're put off by the counterintuitive fact that fun for busy adults requires discipline, which sounds, well, not fun. So other than reading your book, 
for tips, how can we welcome more fun into our lives? How can we make this a habit and not be so, as you put it in the book, fun starved? Yeah. So I think, you know, again, one of the complexities of this is that fun is going to be different for everyone. Right. And so, um, you know, reading your bio, I know you like a lot of the low arousal activities that my wife does, right? You enjoy really digging into a good book, you know, mm -hmm. enjoying sort of calm, you know, among different um, places of water. For me, it's a heavy metal concert, right? So like, <laughs> that's fun for you. See, that's the thing. Fun is different for every person. That would not be fun for me. Right, exactly. And it's not fun for my wife either. So we've <laughs> we've we put our Venn diagram together and when we do things together, you know, we figure out what fits in the middle. And mm -hmm. luckily there's a lot. Uh for us that high arousal uh, that she still enjoys because you know it doesn't require um she's an introvert, so it doesn't require her to, you know is uh, comedy shows. But to answer your question, um, what it is, is really having what I call a bias towards fun. And so, and I liked your analogy with love. I think, yes, none of these things are going to come freely, but if we stack the deck in our favor by being in environments that we know that are going to be fun, if we, you know, make sure that we deliberately have time with friends that we know are joyful, that are going to bring us up. If we index activities and make sure that they're on our schedule, things that we want to do and let, and let, you know, instead of letting time just pass us by, all of these things are eventually going to start moving us in the direction that we want. And so mm -hmm. that's, what's really become problematic is there's, you know, whether you call it heuristics or just, you know, the rhythms of life, so many of us will get into these schedules that just sort of habituate over and over again. And we forget that we do have some agency and autonomy over how we spend our time. But again, to the third bullet that, you know, that you read off, it does require us to be a little bit deliberate. And so it's just that little nudge to be premeditated that makes all of the difference because now you're like, wait a second, I don't want to waste this time. And it's not hard once you kind of make yourself space. So, you know, an important part to anyone that's listening, I think, where positivity became, you know, what a lot of people call toxic positivity yep. is that all of the advice was additive, right? Like all you need to do is attach, you know, these activities that you like onto your already busy schedule. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, right? So, you know, one of the first exercises in the book is to figure out what are the things that you're doing that you don't realize you're just kind of wasting time doing and making sure that we take those out of your schedule and then replace them with things that you like. And so, just recapturing like two to three hours a week as an initial, you know, activity, because there's really little resistance to that, that, oh, that's something that I can do. Once people realize that, wow, okay, I can kind of enjoy life again. And the vitality and vigor that comes with that after a couple of weeks is usually enough to go, okay, I want to do the rest of this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, we're recording this right before the end of the year and, I just had a moment this weekend. I mean, I'm, I'm at the point right now, and this is, this has got to stop. This is a 2023 goal for me where I'm working seven days a week and I'm just burnt out. It's whole, it's hustle culture, um, to the max for me right now. And that's, that's got to change. And I just, I sat there on Sunday after working again all day for the, who knows, however many days stretch. And I said, I just, 
I'm not having any, like I'm, I'm enjoying my work. I'm in my passion work, but I'm not having any fun. And so truly that is something like this uh, books come to you. Things in life come to you at just the right time. Always for me. I mean, you talk about serendipitous and fortuitous and this book came to me at the exact right time, because I'm just wondering when did we as a society start to see fun as the enemy or not even like at what age do you start to see fun as you know something that's trivial i i really i i don't know if that's an answerable question but no, when, it is. when did fun I'm become a, the enemy yeah i meant i you know there's no like year right but there's two things that have happened one we got into a little bit so i won't go too much deeper in that and that is just that we're living longer and we're having children later so there's something called the U-shaped curve of happiness. And I think you kind of get overwhelmed in the middle, right? Because you, you know, um, have all of these things that you need to do. And so making sure that you get ahead of that is an effective strategy. The other is this move from algorithmic work to heuristic work. And so I'm, you know, borrowing that from Daniel Pink, anyone that's Red Drive okay, note. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he talks about this in Drive, but I'll unpack it just for folks that aren't familiar with the concept. So, you know, it was pretty recent where most people were working in jobs where you knew what the quota was, right? So mm -hmm. whether you were making widgets or whatever it was, the goalposts were pretty firm. You had bonuses based on the work that you needed to do. And then most people had a fairly defined transition ritual from leaving the office to getting home. And so leisure was theirs. And, and so we protected leisure in a, you know, in a much more important way. Once knowledge and information work kind of took over and the uh, advent of the BlackBerry and smartphones after that, mm -hmm. there is no real distinction between work and home life. Well, and, and then we add in, I used to work in an office and now, you know, now working from home, there are no boundaries. I mean, uh, yeah, at the, all. the pandemic blew it up. Yeah. And so like real quick, that that's, what's become problematic is that we don't realize that, um, you know, again, my purview is um, as a parent, but this applies to folks that don't have kids either is that if we're doing anything, engaging with our friends, engaging with our kids, even engaging with our own leisure, right? So you're on vacation and you're still answering emails, you know, from the poolside because, you know, you're not thinking about it. Our brains actualize that as extensions of work. So you mm -hmm. might as well be in the office if you're still on email, you know, at the side of the pool. And that's something that needs to stop. Um, and I mean, it's a difficult task. I give Ariana Huffington so much credit because she was kind of trying to get ahead of this, right? She has, um, it's no longer available probably for reasons that make sense, but she had this amazing app that said, hey, I'm on vacation. If you sent me an email now, please put it in your address and send it to me when you get back because I'm deleting all incoming emails so I'm not bothered during my leisure wow, time. Wow, that sounds like a pipe dream. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the things like, this is where in the U.S. we're just doing so poorly, right? In a lot of the countries in the EU, by I don't know if it's by law, but I think it's just a social norm that they shut down email servers uh, at the end of day Friday so that emails don't go out on the weekend wow. because that's how important leisure is. I mean, you need to renewal 
excuse me, you need to renew body and mind to be able to be the best version of yourself, right? So it goes back to, even if you're coming from this sense of duty, even if you wanna be a really good worker, even if you're an entrepreneur that wants to crush it, if you're not taking time off the table for yourself, then you're not succeeding in that goal anyways. And that's the irony, right? And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, to answer your question, that's what's happened is that, you know, work-life balance is a joke. It's really become work-life okay. blend. And so we need to figure out what are our boundaries so that we can, you know, protect our own well-being. And then I make the argument and also enjoy life a little bit. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, because I mean, I, I, it's the end of the year. I mean, it's, it's 10 days until the end of 2022 as we speak today. By the time this episode comes out, it will be 2023. And I just looked up the other day and I said, where did 2022 go? Mm -hmm. I've had my head down buried in work. And I know I'm not the only one that, that will say that my boundaries are completely non-existent. And so that's why, so I choose a word every year to focus on for the year. And this year, 2022, it was peace. I don't know how well that worked out for me, but <laughs> 2023 is balance because I have none. And so I have, I like, I don't want to get too far into the soapbox on myself, but I've always practiced work-life integration, but that has, that has backfired for me, to be honest with you, because now, you know, as like, I, yes, I might throw in a long lunch with a friend in the middle of the workday, but then that also means that I'm working at 10 o'clock at night as well. So I just need, I need better boundaries. I need better balance. And again, this book showed up just at the right time. And the book takes oh, us, so happy. no, you. seriously, it really did like very, very fortuitous. And the, it takes, the book takes us through so many different ways to incorporate more fun in our lives from creating a fun file to what you call the saver system to creating a fun pyramid. But I'd, I'd like to park for a moment on the play model, because I really loved that. So can you explain to our listeners what the play model is? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of folks that are like, I don't know how I got here, right? And it's, you suggested a few times you might be in that camp, right? Oh, I'm definitely there, <laughs> unabashedly there. So you, the play model is really just a way to get mindful of how you're spending your time. So it stands for pleasing, it's an acronym. It stands for pleasing, living, agonizing and yielding. And so pleasing activities are things that don't take a lot of energy, but really light us up, right? That could be that lunch with a friend. It could be playing with pets. We know that's a you know great way to have fun and improve our well-being. It could be whatever it means for you. It could be reading a good book, but these are things that we can index fairly easily once we make a little bit of space for ourselves. The living quadrant is things that do take a lot of energy. I suggest that you do try to have a few of these, you know, throughout your year or, or, or you know, maybe once or, or twice a month, especially if that's easy for you. These are things that do take a lot of energy, so we can't necessarily do them all the time, but they really make us feel connected to whatever that activity is. So for some people that will be, you know, spending time in nature and a, a strenuous hike that leads to, you know, a majestic landscape for some that are spiritual, it might be, you know, really getting into meditation and doing the hard work that it takes to, you know, feel connected to something bigger than themselves. Um, and for others, it could be mastering a craft, right? Like, you know, spending time mastering the guitar because you're really having fun doing that, not because it's, you know, what you're doing for work. Agonizing are the, the hard things that we need to do, and there's no way to en engineer those out of our life, but there are ways to look at them critically. A lot of times, agonizing tasks are things that when we're like, wait, I just don't need to do that, or I could outsource that easily, or I'm taking on 
too much, right? You know, like domestic duties, like why haven't I asked my partner to share in this? We're in a loving relationship and they'd happily do it. What, what I find the most amazing, I write about this in the book, and to be honest, I'm still implementing it because it's a little bit weird for me, is how young children can actually do chores. So a lot of burnout parents likely have just not, got, you know, wait, my 11 year old can do the laundry. Why am I still I doing it? I reading about them? that in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still, that one was somebody else's idea, but it's clear it works because I've gotten so many people going, oh yeah, you know, my four-year-old takes out the trash. Like, really? Okay. You know, but like, so anyways, you can get creative with agonizing tasks, again, to make space for the pleasing and living ones. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, yielding is the one that is getting a lot of attention right now. So I don't think it, it you know, we need to expand on it too much, but that's really things like habitually watching television shows that you don't really even enjoy. You just turn on the TV because you're so exhausted from work. You have really no other choice to social media use, which is really easy to course correct, you know it's becomes, you know, so problematic that now both Apple and Google will let you, you know, look into your settings. Um, I believe it's, um, it's uh, health uh, for both of them and uh, lets you see what apps you're using. And most people are surprised to find that, you know, one of the social apps, whether that's TikTok, Instagram, or Facebook, that they've been on it for more than three hours a week. I mean, there is low hanging fruit of an activity mm -hmm. that doesn't really take any energy. So it might displace discomfort or boredom, but that isn't fun at all. And so if you're not living a joyful life, but, and you're wondering why, I mean, look no further, right? You're spending three hours a week doing something that's not contributing to your well being at all, that you could exchange that for things that actually do. And so, that's where the play model becomes, um, you know, it, it's really simple, but to have four different buckets where you can, you know, put your time um, and kind of see, you know, how your work week is either working for you or not working for you becomes a important first step and kind of course correcting mm -hmm. things that need to get done so that you can have more fun. Well, I think, you know, to, to all of what you just said, it's, it's really just about prioritizing fun, even when there are so many competing interests begging for our attention. And I know that we need to have fun outside of work, but the book even has a chapter about that it's possible to have fun at work, which for some of us were like, what is that? Are you serious? <laughs> are you really? So how can we have fun at work? How can we incorporate fun into our work day? Yeah. So that's really an exercise of figuring out what works for you, right? I think as you add more people in, fun really thrives in social safety. So making sure that you have that first, you know, is a prerequisite. But if you're looking to have fun yourself, you know, how can you look at the activities in your day as an anthropologist and see, you know, I don't really enjoy doing this, but I need to get it done. How are ways that I could recreate this task or activity so that I am having fun? Mm -hmm. And then doing something that I call variable hedonics, how could I potentially switch up you know, a lot of times it could be simply like, hey, I really enjoy my time with these three people, but I hate this conference room. Like, let's just take this meeting out in nature. And, and mm. you know, to, that's only going to work if you have a, you know, corporate campus or a place of work where you could do that. But again, all of these are just suggestions. You figure out the ones that work for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then lastly, it's what you you shared. You know, once you feel safe with regards to the boundaries around work, recapture the time that you do have like your lunch hour is meant to be time for renewal so this isn't mine I, I borrowed this from someone that saw me at, at one of my speaking engagements but 
Um, they're like, when I heard you about lunch, I realized that my friend and I, we have this concept, like, instead of going on a holiday, why don't you just go on a holiday hour? And like, so again, that. yeah, right. I mean, it seems, excuse me, it seems trivial, but you get, you know, if you break out, excuse me, if you break up a nine hour a day with one hour for yourself in the middle, just think how much better the next four hours is going to be. Yeah. Now, to your point, if you live, you know, kind of from this framework of guilt, and you're just going to add that on later that 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 that's not helpful right and so we have a tool called story editing in the book that yeah you know, so that you can kind of understand it's not meant to be a you know a replacement it's really meant to recapture your time um you know and then figure out how, how is it that i can make sure that i'm getting everything i need to do you know within that the time of work that i've dedicated for work and not mm -hmm. let it slip through the cracks well, I would love as we start to wrap up, unfortunately, because this is a great conversation and I, it's just so, it's so, it's so important to me right now. And, and I'm sure that I'm not the only one that is in this moment in their, in their lives where we just go, gosh, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm, am I having any fun anymore? And lamenting on when I was in my early twenties and having so much fun and, you know, it's possible to bring that back into the picture in 2023 and beyond. And, you know, as, as we start to wrap, I'd love for you to leave and I'm putting you on the spot here. So I'm going <laughs> to test your acumen right here. Um, I'd love for you to leave my listeners with, you know, even just one takeaway tactic that they can use to start having more fun today, right here, right now. Because when you think about having fun, it's kind of like, okay, well, fun, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, how, like, that sounds even sometimes a bit overwhelming. Um, but how one, one takeaway tactic that listeners can incorporate today with, they can easily start having just a bit more fun. Yeah. So I'm going to give you two. So one okay. Ooh, is double the, double the <laughs> dose. Love it. Yeah. Well, because I always want to make sure there's at least a tactic to create space because I hate telling somebody to do something when we haven't, you know, done that. Cause again, it's not meant to be additive. It's meant to see what's not working and then use those opportunities to create things that are so you know, you don't have to go through the whole 168 hour, you know, time audit to be able to look back at the prior week and just figure out one or two hours of time that you, you feel wasn't spent and try and figure out how you can integrate something that would bring you joy. Just try that experiment, do it for at least two to three weeks. Cause the first week can kind of feel just so novel and, um, you know, you won't, won't want to stick with it, but stick with it for a couple of weeks and, and, and then see how your whole attitude kind of changes after you've realized that you have the agency and autonomy and control to have fun in your life. And I'll, and I'll tell you, it's magical. If you get stuck, then invite one of your funnest friends on a date, like figure out what they want to do and then just go have fun with them. Because oftentimes we know that our fun friends are the ones that can carry us. And so if you don't feel like a fun person, having the benefit of what we call social contagion and kind of just joining in on the fun that they can bring to the table can be in a really effective way to get unstuck. And trust mm. me, fun people love company, you know, and so because they're good at it. So use that opportunity. I mean, you know, again, coming out of the pandemic, we all miss each other. So yeah, you know, getting in front of it and just going, hey, I want to hang out with you. One, they're going to, you know, that's always a, a nice sort of social nod, right? Like, oh, cool. I, I'm liked. And, um, and then that's just by proxy, kind of a forcing factor to go off and have fun with someone that you care about. So those are two kind of low level that's tactics good. you can apply right now. 
That's good. I'm just sitting here thinking, Mike, I used to be the fun friend. I wonder if I'm still the fun friend. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I am. Well, but I know I'm that even if you're it. not now, you will be in 2023. Yeah, she's coming back. She's coming back. <laughs> my last question for you, this has been such an illuminating conversation for me, but my last question for you, what do you hope readers get out of the fun habit? Yeah, so, you know, I kind of touch on it in the book, but I'm realizing because I have been asked this question a few times, and I think it was more, you know, this macro level answer, but where we're at right now, um, and again, it's kind of a geek term, but it, it applies, is that especially here in the West, and especially here in the US, there's this immense amount of time poverty that kind of transcends socioeconomic class, you know, certainly, mm -hmm. um, there are going to be components of it, but it's clear that it's making a lot of people sick. And so, if I can improve time affluence, you know, across the board, uh, then I will think I, I've done a good job and, and, and did what I was supposed to do with this book. Well, it's, it's so good. And listeners, whatever fun looks like for you. And as we said earlier, it will be different for each person. I challenge you and me and all of us to have more fun in 2023. We deserve it. And our work deserves it, honestly. And who among us wouldn't benefit from a little bit more fun. The book is The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. It's by Dr. Mike Rucker. It's out January 3rd, just in time to kick off your new year. Thank you so much for being here today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I appreciate it. I don't very often give homework assignments on the show, but I am giving you one today. By the time our next episode comes out, I challenge all of us, and that includes me, to have just a little more fun. I know I am up to the challenge. 2023 is going to be a year of more fun and less work for me. I'm speaking that into existence and having all of you as my accountability partners. Again, the book is The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. It is out January 3rd. It's a must read. It's a great way to kick off the new year with a little bit more fun because who doesn't need a little bit more fun? We have got some more fantastic conversations coming up this month. I can't wait for you to hear them. We will be back very soon. Mm -hmm.